Today we're going to continue uh, our series entitled Red Letters, the Words of Jesus, and uh, we've been kind of diving into some awesome truths as we've kind of been diving in and looking at the words of Jesus, what He said, how they apply to our lives, and literally how they impact us. So let's look in Luke chapter 6, uh, verse 46 through 49. The Bible says this, Jesus is speaking. He says, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? And I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. And when the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well-built. How many of you want to build a well-built house today? Anybody? Let's build a house that stands firm on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. But verse 49, he says, But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. And when the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. So look at our first point. Just recap a couple thoughts today. We said the words of Jesus are powerful, right? Jesus' words bring life and death. Uh, Jesus speaks and deaf ears are open. Jesus speaks and dead men get up and walk out of the grave. Jesus' words are powerful. And then Luke chapter 6 that we just read said Jesus' words are foundational, right? If we're going to build a life that lasts, if we're going to have a well-built life, we're going to have to build our lives on the rock-solid teaching of Jesus Christ. And then the last thing is, and this is really we, we decided to kind of drill down on this last point, and that is that the words of Jesus are insightful. Literally, Jesus' words allow us to see, hear, and feel the very heartbeat of God, the heart of God, and the will of God for each and every person in this room here today, and each and every person literally on planet Earth. Because Jesus said something amazing. Jesus said, I never say anything that I haven't heard the Father say, and I never do anything that I haven't seen the Father do. So literally, Jesus said to his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so an amazing thing happens through those red letters. Jesus reveals the very heartbeat of heaven. And we said our goal through this series is not just to learn some principles for life and living, which is important, but really to kind of sink our hearts to the heart of God, that we would begin to walk in unison with the heartbeat of heaven for our lives. Amen. Everybody on, good, on board with that? Come on, anybody in the house today? Y'all good? All right. So we said a couple weeks ago, we said that uh, Jesus said, if we'll serve God, stop worrying and start living our life God's way, that God will give us everything that we need. And we looked in Matthew 6, 33 and 34, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God above all else, live right righteously, and he'll give you everything you need, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. And then last Sunday, we looked at the scripture where Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And we talked about how important it is that we be laborers together with God. And I challenge you to do something. I challenge you to go home and pray and ask God to give you three people, three people that you can labor for, and three people that you can labor with in the kingdom of God. I hope you did that. If you didn't do that, I'm reminding you now, okay? So this is your reminder notice from the homework teacher, Okay, here we go. Uh, we want to pray, God, who can we labor for and who can we labor with? God, show us some people. Let's get specific about being laborers in the harvest because the, la the harvest is plentiful, but Jesus said the laborers are few. And then we talked about how that Jesus said in John chapter 8 that he was the light of the world. And then in the gospel of Matthew, he flips the coin and he looks at his disciples and he says, and you are the light of the world. And we talked about how that being the light of Christ means that number one, we come out of the darkness of sin. But then we go into a darkness, into the darkness of a world without Christ so that we can shine the light of Jesus so that people can see who he is and experience God in a way that changes their lives. Amen? So let's look at that next point on your outline. So Jesus speaks in hopes that we will listen. I want you to understand Jesus does not speak for the sake of speaking.
speaking. He doesn't speak so he can hear himself talk. He speaks in hopes that we will listen. And when Jesus speaks, listen to this, his red letters, they confirm us. They bring some confirmation into our lives. And what I love about the red letters is they confirm to us who God is. They confirm to us who God is because as I just said, Jesus said, what I say and what I do is what the Father does. And the Bible actually says in Colossians that Christ is the exact image of the invisible God. So if you want to know what God looks like, what do you do? You look at Jesus. And so Jesus through his life and through the red letters that he speaks, he confirms us. He brings confirmation into our heart and our minds of who God is. And through Jesus, guess what we find out? We find out that God is good. That God is loving, that he's a good shepherd, that he cares for us, that he values us. Because I don't know if you've ever read your Bible, but if you read the Old Testament, it seems like God's mad. Y'all read the Old Testament? I mean, he is opening the earth and swallowing people up. Bam, you're gone. He's striking people down with leprosy. He's sending plagues and angels to cut people to death and destruction. And then you cross over in the New Testament, and we got this image of a God that is angry and cool and cruel and full of wrath and full of judgment. And all of a sudden, Jesus steps on the scene, and he confirms to us who God is. Who is God? He is a loving heavenly father that lays down his life for the sheep. He draws us, compels us, and loves us into the kingdom of God. Jesus never struck anybody with leprosy. Jesus never opened the earth and swallowed people up. Jesus never prayed down lightning from heaven. As a matter of fact, Jesus rebuked his disciples and they wanted to destroy life. And he said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And so the words of red, the red letters confirmed to us that our God is a good, good father that loves and cares about his children and about his creation. And the red letters not only confirm to us who he is, but the red letters challenge us. I don't know if you've realized this, but, but the, the, the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments, the moral law of God is kind of the baseline. It's the floor. It's not the ceiling. What do I mean by that? The, all the Ten Commandments are thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, right? And then Jesus comes along, and in the law, the law says thou shalt not commit adultery. And then here comes Jesus. You know what Jesus does? Jesus says, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. So the law says don't commit adultery. Jesus just raised the bar and said, not only can you not commit adultery, now you can't even look lustfully at another person. All of a sudden, the red letters challenge us. Why? Because the Bible says that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And let me tell you what the grace and truth of God does. It raises the bar. <laughs> Jesus is calling us to live a life way beyond the moral code of just a few Ten Commandments. Jesus is calling us to live a life of sacrificial love that lays down our lives for other people so they can know who he is and be saved from a devil's hell. I mean, when you read the stories, there's a great little story in the gospel where Jesus tells people, he said, if somebody compels with you to go one mile... Go with them too. Y'all remember that story? If somebody asks you to go one, go with them too. Now the backdrop on that story is simply this. According, the Jews were living under Roman oppression. And Roman law said this. Roman law said that if you're a Roman citizen, you're walking by a Jewish person's property, you can require them by Roman law to carry your load for one mile. 
They were required by law to carry your load for one mile. So here comes Jesus. The law says tote the load for one mile. Jesus said if somebody asks you to go one mile, go with them too. You want to know where mile markers came from? The mile markers came from the Jews. Literally, they would go out and they would measure one mile from their property. And they would pile a stone right there. They'd put a pile of stones there. And when they were under that oppression of the enemy, they're toting that load. They're griping. They're grumbling. They're complaining. I can't believe I have to. And they would get to that mile marker and they would drop it right there. I'm not going to carry it one step further than the law requires. And then here comes Jesus. He says, if they ask you to go one, go two. See, the red letters challenge us to go further than the law ever imagined we would go. Because it's no longer about legalism. It's about a loving relationship with God that pours out, as we're going to see today, into the hearts and lives of other people. And the words of Jesus, those red letters, they affirm and confirm us. Think about this. When you read the red letters, all of a sudden you find out. You find out that you're valuable. You find out that you're important. You find out that you are the children of God. You are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, when you read those red letters, the words of Christ, you step into a realization of affirmation and confirmation from the Father that says you are valuable, you are important, you are significant, and God knows your name. I mean, the Bible, even Jesus goes so far as to say that every hair on your head is numbered. For some folks, that's not a big deal. For other people, kind of big deal. That right, Richard. Come on, amen. You matter to God. The red letters affirm that you matter to God. You are significant. You are important. And the eye of heaven watches over you. So look at the rest of that statement. And in just two, look at this, in two short commandments, we're going to look at them today. In two short commandments, Jesus tells us how we should live. In just a moment, we're going to read the Gospels, and Jesus is going to sum up the entire sum of Christianity. He's going to sum everything up into two very simple commandments, and he's going to tell us how we should live our lives. And here's the concept of it. This is what he says. He says that we show love to our God that we can't see by loving his people that we can't see. Jesus is about to teach us something. He's about to drop this red letter bomb on us that's going to bring us to a revelation that the only way you can love a God that you can't see is by loving the people that you can't see. And actually, the Apostle John says in, in, uh, in 1 John, uh, he says this. He says, how can you love God whom you haven't seen if you can't love your brothers whom you have seen? So let's look at what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 22. Verse 37 through 40. Verse 36, not on the screen, but in verse 36, somebody asked Jesus a question. This is the question they ask him. What's the greatest commandment? Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? If there's just one thing that I got to do, Jesus, what's that one thing? Isn't that just like us? <laughs> right, let's just boil it down. What's the simplest level? What's the lowest common denominator of this thing called Christianity? What's the greatest commandment? What is the one thing that I got to do? If I got to do anything to have eternal life, to follow you, to serve you, what's the greatest commandment? This is what Jesus says. He answers that question. And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. That's a, that's a, that's a great word, equally important. Love your neighbors yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. So look at that next point on your outline. Jesus said, love God 
and love your neighbor as yourself. And when we do these two simple things, every other law and requirement will be fulfilled. Let's stop right there for a second. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Let's talk about loving God. What does it really mean to love God? Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And then in John 15, he says, and this is my commandment, that you love one another like I've loved you. So here's Jesus' commandment. Love me by loving people. Love God. Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. What does it mean to love God? Means to, loving God means keeping His commandments. If I love God, I obey Him. If I love God, I honor Him. If I love God, I serve Him. If I love God, I follow Him. But Jesus summed it up like this. If you love me, keep my commandments. And here's my commandment. Love others the way that I love you. Because Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God, and he said, and the second is equal to it. So for all you mathematicians in the house today, that's an equal sign. Loving God is equal to loving people. Not greater than, not less than, the greatest mathematical equation you'll ever understand is this right here. Loving God equals loving people. You can't love God without loving people, and you can't love people without loving God. Now, let me just kind of give you a great example. How many parents or grandparents in the house? You got any parents or grandparents in the house? Very good. All right. If you're a parent or grandparent, you know this is true. It would be impossible for somebody to come up to you and say, hey, I just want you to know, Pastor Keith, I love you a whole lot, but I hate your kids. I mean, they're just sorry. I can't stand to be around them. As a matter of fact, last week I slapped them when I saw them. But I really love you. How many know that wouldn't fly? I mean, let's be honest, that wouldn't fly. It is impossible for you to love me and hate my kids. It's impossible for you to love me and gossip about my kids. It's impossible for you to love me and lie about my kids. It's impossible for you to love me and abuse my kids. It's impossible for you to love me and take advantage of my kids. It's impossible for you to love me and despise my children, but yet we do it every day. Every, every day we, we, we say, I love God. I just don't like people. I love God, but I can't stand my coworker. I love God, but my spouse just gets on my last nerves and, oh, oh my, oh. I love God, but these people, they just, you know, I can't stand them. And I lie about them and I gossip about them and Every chance I get to, I might be mean to them or cruel to them or abuse them or ignore them. And, but God, I love you. See, G Jesus does something in these red letters. He brings the mathematical equation into spirituality. And he says it's impossible for you to love God and not love people. Now, we don't have to like everything that people do. Let's just be honest, I don't always like all the things I do. Sometimes I look at myself and say, why in the world do I do that? I don't have to be in relationship with all people. Relationship, hear me, relationship requires conditions, but love is unconditional. 
You, you actually can't be in a relationship with God unless you're willing to meet some conditions, right? For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. If you don't believe in his son and accept him as your Lord and Savior, you can't have a relationship with God. God loves you unconditionally, but you don't have a relationship with him. Why? Because relationships are conditional, but love is unconditional. Jesus is not telling us that we got to run into ungodly, unhealthy relationships. He's just telling us we got to love everybody unconditionally because that's how God loves us. How many are glad God loves us unconditionally? And so God brings to the table this amazing equation of spirituality. Because see, in, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, it kind of seemed like I could love God and kill you. But all of a sudden, Jesus brings us into this whole new world of living where loving God equals loving people, and loving people's how I love God, and loving God equals loving people, and loving people's how I love God, and loving God equals loving people, and loving people's how I love God. Because we, we get religious, <laughs> and we equate, we equal loving God to going to church, read my Bible, and pray. All right, so if I go to church, read my Bible, and pray, then I love God. Oh, and oh, yeah, I worship. You know, I worship. I'm a good worshiper. So if I read my Bible, and I pray, and I worship, and I go to church, then I love God, and it doesn't matter how I treat people. Because some people just aren't nice, and so they're not nice to me. I'm not nice to them. They're mean to me, and I'm mean to them, and they're cruel to me, and I'm cruel to them. And so you know what? So I love God because I read my Bible, and I go to church, and I worship, and I pray, and I don't like people, and I'm bitter toward people, and I'm resentful toward people, and I mistreat people, and I'm callous toward people, and I'm cold toward people, and I'm hateful toward people. But I love God because I read my Bible, and I go to church, and I pray, and I worship. And I have this amazing quiet time every day. Jesus just scraps that whole idea <laughs> that disconnects your spiritual relationship with God to people. Jesus connects it. He connects your relationship with God to your love of people. And he brings us to a place, and what we're going to see in just a minute, he brings us to a place that is, that is really intended to liberate and free us. See, there is, there is something, there, there is nothing more liberating than receiving and giving the love of God. God's love liberates you in a way beyond anything you have ever imagined. So, so let's look at the last part of that little point that we're making here. So when we judge people, when we judge others, it separates us from God and it limits us to love others as ourselves. When we judge people, the word judge literally means to pass judgment on or to condemn. How many of you know that, that I, I can never, we, we really don't have the authority to be the final word in anybody's life. I don't have the authority to pass final judgment on you. Because if we'll just look around and be honest, some of the worst people sometimes become some of the best people. <laughs> and sometimes some of the best people that start out really, really good become some of the worst people. <laughs> and we don't have the right to pass judgment on other people and condemn them and pass judgment on them because only God can do that. So when we judge people, I want you to see this, when we judge people, when we condemn people, it limits us because anytime, anytime I set a limit on my love for people, I set a limit on my love for God. 
Anytime I set a limit on my love for people, I set a limit on my love for God because I can't love God more than I love people. So the moment I say, I'm going to love you and you and you, but not you, Daryl, because you know I just don't like you. The moment I set a limit on my love for people, I set a limit on my love for God. And limitations on loving people bring separation in my relationship with God. Because they're connected. They're equal to, not greater than. And it's pretty sobering. (laughs) When you think about what Jesus is bringing to us. Now look at Matthew 7. Let's kind of carry on just a little bit. Jesus said, so do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? Isn't it interesting that we qualify sin? Have y'all ever thought about that? We qualify sin. And, And I understand that there are different repercussions to different sins. And that's typically how we qualify it. But what's funny is, uh, you know, we're kind of a recovery church, and we reach a lot of people in recovery. And, and I love it when I love it when when the guy when the when the guy that's uh, that's smoking the joint looks down on the guy that's shooting the needle and says, "Oh, I can't believe they're doing that. I would never do that." And then the guy that's smoking the cigarette looks down on the guy that's smoking the joint. Oh, I would never do that. And the guy that's dipping the the, the skull looks down on the guy that's smoking the cigarette. I would never do that. And the guy that's not doing any of it, except lusting in his heart toward every woman that walks by him, looks down on the guy that's dipping the tobacco, smoking the cigarette, smoking the joint, shooting up the drugs. Because, oh, I could never do that. Let me give you a qualification. If Jesus said the greatest commandment is loving God and loving people, then the greatest sin is breaking the greatest commandment. If the greatest commandment is love God and love people, and then the greatest sin has got to be breaking the greatest commandment, right? If this is the most important thing, well, then when I don't do this, that's got to be the greatest sin because I'm breaking the greatest commandment. So when I don't love God by loving people, and I don't love people, therefore I can't love God, I've broken the greatest commandment, which is really the greatest sin. So why am I looking at the speck in your eye when there's this log, (laughs) In my eye. <laughs> Who would have thought a message on love would be so hard? <laughs> Verse 4. And how can you think of even saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So look at our next point. So Jesus said, don't judge others and treat others as you would like to be treated. Don't judge others and treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Look at that next part. We have to stop living and responding based on how we feel others have received us and start living the best version of ourselves no matter what. So let's talk about this because this is what I was talking about, liberating. This is what liberates us. When I stop judging and I start treating people the way I want to be treated, it sets me free. 
And, and this is what it sets me free from. It sets me free from the manipulation of the enemy that uses other people's insecurities and sin to lower the standard of my life. So I've got to stop responding to people the way they respond to me, and I've got to start treating people the way I want to be treated regardless of how they treat me. Because this is what happens. Think about it. Now, I know, I know, right, I mean, we're Sunday morning, and everybody in here is really holy and righteous, so y'all may not ever do this, but you probably know somebody that does, so just think about your neighbor out there in the world. In the natural, what people tend to do is if you're mean to me, I'm mean to you. If you gossip about me, I gossip about you. If you lie about me, I lie about you. If you're, if you're critical of me, I'll be critical of you. If you're judgmental of me, I'll be judgmental of you. If you post something on Facebook ugly about me, I'll post something on Facebook ugly about you. And that's how a lot of people, nobody in this room, of course, but that's how a lot of people live their life. They treat everybody just like everybody treats them. So if you're nice to me, I'm nice to you. If you're mean to me, I'm mean to you. If you're kind to me, I'm kind to you. If you're critical of me, I'm critical of you. And that's how, unfortunately, a lot of people live their lives. And Jesus is trying to set us free from this because when you're in that cycle, you are trapped. Because what you're doing is you're allowing that person's attitude and actions to set the standard of your life. So instead of being the person God has called you to be, you're being just like them. They're hateful, so you're hateful. They're critical, so you're critical. They're judgmental, so you're judgmental. They're spiteful, so you're spiteful. They're gossiping, so you gossip. And instead of living your life to the fullest expression of who God has called you to be, you actually begin to live their life. And you lower the standard of who God's called you to be to be the standard of how they're treating you. And so now all of a sudden, everybody on the planet has authority over your attitude and your actions. Because you just respond to them the way they respond to you. And so Jesus said, let's break it. Stop judging Stop critiquing, stop condemning, stop criticizing, and start treating people the way you want them to treat you. Because only when you treat people the way you want people to treat you, only then can you be freed from that cycle of death that lowers the standard of your life to the attitude and actions of the people that are around you. Just because you're in a bad mood doesn't mean I have to be. Just because you're gossiping doesn't mean I have to. Just because you lie doesn't mean I have to. Just because you do the things you want to do doesn't mean I have to submit myself to the actions and attitudes of your life. I can live above that. Remember, Jesus calls us above. In the Old Testament, it was an eye for an eye. In the New Testament, Jesus says, forget about that. Because if you live an eye for an eye, then you are living constantly at the standard of life that everybody around you is living. But if you begin to walk in grace and truth, and you begin to allow the love of God to saturate your heart, all of a sudden you find there is a freedom that comes when you begin to treat other people not the way they treat you, but the way you want to be treated. And it frees us. Now, Jesus goes on. Let's just read a little more. John 15, Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you. 
For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches, and those who remain in me, and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So Jesus said, look at that next point, Jesus said, remain in him, and he will remain in us. And as we abide in him, we automatically get the best of Christ. This means Jesus in the world should always get the best of us. The best version of who you are, let me just tell you who that is, the best version of your life is Christ in you. <laughs> and he said, if we remain in him, he'll remain in us. If we abide in him, we automatically get the best of what he has. So he says, remain in me, abide in me, and I'll abide in you, and you'll bear much fruit. So let me ask you the question, how do we do that? I'm going to break out my old school Bible this morning. Is that okay? John 15, just a couple verses down from what we just read. John 15, Jesus in 9 through 12 tells us how we remain or abide in him. This is how you do it. How do I abide in Christ? Because if I abide in Christ, I automatically get everything that God has for me. Let me just say this to you. God is not greedy. God is not stingy. And God is not holding out on you. God is desperately desiring to pour into you everything that he has. Everything that he has. So how do I access that? John 15, verse 9 through 12. Jesus said, as the Father loved me, I have also loved you, so abide in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So how do I, keep, how do I abide in his love? I keep his commandments. Verse 11, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Let me just tell you something. The most miserable people you'll know are people that are judgmental and critical and bitter. <laughs> They're miserable. <laughs> the most Miserable person you know is the most critical person you know. They are critical and judgmental of everybody. And I'm going to give you a revelation on that in just a minute, but let me read one more verse. He says that your joy may be full. Then look at verse 12. So this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So Jesus said the way you abide in me is you keep my commandments. And then he says, and oh yeah, just in case you don't know what my commandments are, my commandments are, here's my commandment. Love one another like I've loved you. So when I love God and love people and love people to love God and love God and love people and love people to love God, I abide in him. I abide in him. And when I abide in him, he's the vine and I'm the branches and I bear fruit. Automatically, I receive everything that God has. Automatically, I'm in sync with the very heartbeat of God. And all that he has, his glory, his grace, his power, his spirit, his, his strength, his sufficiency, it all becomes accessible into my life. And it flows freely into my life because I'm loving God by loving people and loving people to love God. Now, here's the challenge. The challenge is... Love your neighbor as yourself. That's a challenge if you don't love you. And what I found out, I found out this to be true, and you'll probably agree with it, but this is what I found out, my observation, is that most people treat other people the way they feel about themselves. Most people treat other people the way they feel about themselves. So if you feel, if you are critical and judgmental of yourself, you'll typically be critical and judgmental of other people. Have you ever noticed that the most critical judgmental people are like super sensitive? 
I mean, they'll cut people down and cut people down and cut people down and cut people down. And somebody says something that may sound like a cut down to them, and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they said that to me. That was so horrible. You're like, you said a hundred things like, I mean, a thousand times worse about other people. What are you talking about? How did that hurt your feelings? You're like full of venom and poison. You know how it hurt their feelings? Because we typically treat others the way we feel and treat ourselves. So if I am a critical, judgmental person of my own self, I'm going to be critical and judgmental of you. And that's why I'm super sensitive, because I'm already condemning myself, and all it takes is a little word of condemnation from somebody else, and I feel like my world's ended. I can dish it out, but I can't take it. Why? Because I'm living in a place of self-judgment and self-condemnation. If you lie, me and Kelly had this little talk every now and then, and, and, and she'll say, well, Keith, you know what? You just think everybody tells the truth. And that's absolutely right. And the reason I think everybody tells the truth is because I always tell the truth. I've been able to look at my kids. I can look at my kids. Samantha's right over there. And I can say, Samantha, I've never lied to you. And I can be that. I can say that without lying. I've never lied to my kids. Not once. Not intentionally. If I told a lie, I didn't know it was a lie. I've never lied to my kids. And I tell the truth. And so I expect everybody else to tell the truth. So if Trey tells me something, I assume it's the truth until he proves to me that he's a liar. But guess what? If you're a liar, guess what you assume? Everybody's lying. You can't believe anybody. Well, the reason you can't believe anybody is because nobody can believe you. So here's part of the remedy. I want you to see this real quick. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, I want you to love one another as I've loved you, which he just raised the bar, by the way. Because <laughs> sometimes we don't love ourselves very well. So let me encourage you in two things real quick. Number one, you need to let God love you. And, and I know that's really easy to say, and most people right now, if you struggle with that, you're like, well, yeah, how do I do that, Pastor Keith? You do it by just, number one, acknowledging that he does love you. And literally opening your mouth and saying, God, I just receive your love. I'm convinced the world would be a better place if people would just get up every day and say, God, today I just receive your love. I receive your love today. Because the more I feel loved, the more I show love. Think about it in our marriages. Husbands, wives, we can all attest this. When you don't feel loved, you're not very loving. <laughs> and the more you feel loved, the more you show love. Now, we know love is not a feeling. It's a whole lot more than that. Love is a choice. It's a decision. It's an act of faith. But when you begin to receive the love of God, all of a sudden it begins to bring life to you. And it begins to heal your heart so that you can begin to love others, not just as you love yourselves, but now you get to love others with the same love that God loved you, which is unconditional love. And so the best version of me is Christ in me. It's my heart healed by God's love, loving others with the love of God. So let's look at our next scripture. I want you to see this. Matthew 7, some more red letters. Jesus said, keep on asking, you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you'll find it. Keep on knocking, the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. 
And you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? If they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? So look at that last point. When we properly love God, how do we properly love God and love others? We love God by loving people, and we love people by loving God. That's proper. When we love God by loving people, and we love people to love God, that's, that's how we properly love God. We stay rightly connected to him, and this positions us to receive his protection and his provision. Receiving the best of Christ means that anything is possible in our lives, and we can boldly keep asking, and we can boldly keep knocking. So when I love God and love people, I'm divinely connected, rightly connected to the Father. And I can receive everything that he has for me. And what's awesome about that is when I love God and love people, love people to love God, love God by loving people, and love people to love God, my heart's right. My heart's right. And how many of you know motive matters to God? Did y'all know that motive matters? Your heart condition matters to God. The Bible says in James that sometimes we ask and we ask amiss. We don't receive because we ask amiss. And he goes on and talks about because our heart is not right. Have you ever had somebody ask you for something and you said no? Not because you didn't want to give them what they asked for, but because you knew they were going to use it in a way that wasn't good. You wanted to help them, you wanted to bless them, you wanted to give it to them, but you knew their heart wasn't right. You knew that what they wanted was not going to bless them, it was going to hurt them. Not because what you were going to give them was evil, but because of the way they were going to use it. And sometimes, unless we're loving God by loving people and loving people to love God and loving God by loving people and loving people to love God, if we're not in this cycle of life right here where we're operating out of a love relationship with God and people, then sometimes our heart's wrong. And sometimes we'll ask God to give us power and position so we can manipulate and control people. And sometimes we'll ask God to give us possessions and prosperity so we can buy things that'll take us away from God instead of use our resources to bring people to God. And sometimes God will say, no. Not because he don't want to give you what you're asking for, but because he knows your heart's not right to receive it. That's what's powerful about love God, love people, love God, love people, love God, love people. When I love God and love people and love people to love God, it keeps my heart right. And I can ask and I can receive and I can seek and I can find and I can knock and it'll be open. And I can keep on asking, I can keep on seeking, I can keep on knocking. Because as long as I'm in that place of love, loving God, loving people, loving people to love God, I'm in a place where my heart is right. And guess what? God can give me anything. If you're a parent, you know this. There are, there are seasons in the lives of your kids that you can't give them what they want because it would hurt them and not help them. And you love them so much as a parent, you'll actually say no and hurt their feelings and risk them getting mad at you instead of saying yes and give them the thing they don't need but they do want that will ultimately destroy their lives. And if we, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our Father give good gifts to those who ask? 
And so when we love God to love people and we love people to love God, it keeps our heart right so we can receive what he has for us. Let's just bow our heads today. Red letters, they challenge us to come up higher. They challenge us to come out of that vicious cycle of treating others the way they treat us and begin to live the best version of our lives, which is a heart and a life that's filled with the love of God and pouring out His love to other people. Again, relationships are conditional, but love is unconditional. And all of a sudden, Jesus put an equal sign. Loving God equals loving people. Loving people equals loving God. And he said, you can't divide it. And it calls us into this liberating place where we are no longer manipulated by the actions and decisions of others. We are now liberated by the love of God to be the person God's called us to be. Aren't you tired of mimicking the world? Aren't you tired of letting other people set your attitude and your actions and your decisions and your choices? Aren't you ready to be free? That's what love does. Loving God, loving people, loving people to love God, that sets us free. And all of a sudden we start treating people the way we want to be treated because we love God. <laughs> experience Him and the more we're able to love others and it creates this amazing thing called life. And maybe you're here today and maybe, man, there's, all of us have difficult people in our lives. And we don't have to condone their choices and their decisions. We don't have to agree with their choices and their decisions. We do have to love them enough to love them <laughs> and refuse to condemn them. It's so easy to pass judgment. It's so easy to condemn people. It's so easy to count them out and write them off. But the truth is, most of us in this room have been counted out and written off by other people many times in our lives. But by the grace of God, you're still here. And you're still here not because somebody condemned you and judged you. You're still here because somebody loved you in spite of your sin. And again, we don't condone sin. Jesus confronts sin, but he never condemns sinners. He calls them up and he calls them out because he loves them. Maybe you need God to do a little heart surgery on you this morning. Maybe your heart has been hardened. Maybe you've been hurt. And that happens. We get hurt. And our heart gets wounded and we become calloused and cold and we become judgmental not because we're against people but because we're guarding ourselves so we push people away but I'm just going to tell you today the best thing you can have is a healed heart the Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear because where there's fear there's torment and it's God's love that's perfect it heals, it restores so maybe right now you literally just need to say, God, I receive your love. 
And maybe you need to ask him to heal your heart today. God, just heal our hearts. Heal the hurts and the wounds, the broken places. God, help us to love like you love us. God, give us the courage and the faith to step out and obey you and believe you because you've never called us to do anything. You haven't given us the grace and the strength to do. So, Lord, today we receive your love. You said that the love of God is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So, Holy Spirit, fill our hearts with love today and help us to love others. If you're here today and you've never experienced the love of God, maybe you've kind of been on the outside looking in, maybe you're here today just checking out the church, checking out Christianity, trying to figure out what you think about God, I want to tell you what He thinks about you. He loves you, and He loves you so much He sent His Son Jesus to die for you. And He's calling you into a relationship with Him that will change every relationship in your life. And He's offering you a gift today. That's what salvation is, it's a gift. And if you're here today and say, Pastor Keith, I want to receive that gift. I've never been saved. I know right now that if I were to die, I'm separated from God. I'm not right with God. But I want to be right with Him today. I want to receive the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, and let the love of God fill me. And let the love of God flow through me so the world can see who Jesus is in me. If that's you, I want you just to stand up all over this building right now. Just a simple act of faith. Today I want to receive that love of God for salvation. I want to be saved. I've never accepted that gift. But today, I believe it's my day. I want to open my heart to the love of God that brings salvation. And I want to commit my life today to follow Him. I want to love God by loving people for the rest of my life. And I want to know the love of God that casts out all fear. If that's you, just stand. Father, we thank you today for the grace of God over us today. We thank you for the love of Jesus that transforms us and changes us. And we thank you for healing our hearts and transforming our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.